Hello, everyone. Welcome to the TF Blockchain Podcast, where we interview blockchain and digital currency innovators building our distributed future. I'm your host and founder of TF Blockchain, Jonathan G. Blanco. TF Blockchain hosts premier conferences, events, and media featuring blockchain leaders actively growing the industry. With our platform, we are connecting business and technology executives with blockchain innovators leading the charge. Through our interactive speaker presentations, facilitated networking sessions, and our video and podcast series. Before we get started, wanted to tell you about our consulting arm, TF Agency, where we work with blockchain companies, companies looking to adopt the technology, entrepreneurs and investors looking to understand the space, and with those looking to grow their career in this emerging industry. For more information, please email us at info at tfagency.io. All right, everybody, thank you so much for being here uh, uh, in Seattle uh, at our Payments and Blockchain uh, event. Um, please give our, our speakers a round of applause, Paul, Maria, and Andre. All right, all right. So um, with that, I'd love for each of you to introduce yourselves um, uh, to, our, to our panel, um, and then we'll kind of dive into payments and, and, and everything from there. You want me to start? I would love for you to start. Okay. <laughs> My name is Andrei Zverev, and I'm currently uh, with Building Bits. It's a fractional ownership commercial real estate investment platform. Uh, but pri and um, we're offering traditional securities, but we also have a plan for tokenization of the real estate. And uh, we just uh, recently signed with CoinMe to start accepting cryptocurrency as a payment mechanism for, oh, awesome. for investments. Oh, okay. Very cool. Yeah, uh, so it should go live in, you know, shortly in a couple of weeks maybe. Um, but prior to that, for about 15 years, I was uh, involved in payments and payment technologies, um, you know, uh, very deeply, uh, starting with one of the first uh, digital banks in, uh, in, in America uh, based on uh, e-cash, um, uh, 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 algorithm and Chams algorithm, you know, all those uh, encryptions, oh, etc. It was David Chom. Yeah, it was 2001. Mm -hmm. So we were very early, uh, a little bit ahead of our curve. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but uh, it was like a precursor to all the cryptocurrencies. But then uh, I also worked, um, I was an advisor, one of the early advisors to Revolut, uh, which is mm. a, you know, large digital cash out uh, a bank out of UK and also worked for Abra, uh, which is a um, uh, cryptocurrency uh, trading and um, uh, funds transfer company out of uh, San Francisco. And also for many years ran an international funds transfer company as well. That's great. Maria? So my name is Maria Smith. I'm currently an independent consultant, Maria Smith and Associates. Uh, but uh, previous to that, in the last six months, I was with Starbucks. Um, previous to that, I was with Disney. So for 25-ish years, I've been on the enterprise side of uh, financial services, what I'll call it, and payment strategy. But I did a number of things. Um, while at Starbucks, I had responsibility for all of the mobile payments, anti-fraud, payment strategy stored value products and also created a partnerships organization um, and then sort of inserted myself into some of the blockchain work that they were doing on um, proof of concept um, and then and, and acted as sort of the business advisor if you will to the technology team um, with Disney I did so many things uh, let's say I've been in finance payments uh, general management but I also developed products and did customer experience uh, sort of 
<clears throat> uh, building everything from the regulatory mm. piece of it to the customer experience piece of it. Um, and blockchain or cryptocurrencies was a personal interest of mine, even though it wasn't in my job role um, at Disney. And so I've been following it for quite a while. It's kind of an interesting state. And so part of the move of being independent is so that I could investigate more of these opportunities. Um, because working for a big corporate, I'm sort of uh, tied to who I can speak to or how I can speak about the technology, and so this allows me a bigger platform. So I'm happy to be here. Thank you for the invitation. Yeah, Thank definitely. You. And as I said, I'm Paul Rapino, director of the Seattle uh, TF Blockchain Group, and just getting started. So happy about that. Excited to work with Jonathan. Uh, two things that interest me in payments. I was at Microsoft for about 18 years, and most of that in New York working with all the financial institutions way back in the 90s and the early 2000s about what are we going to do with payments. And then Microsoft, we explored various types of payments all the way from putting everything on Windows and building on top of that. Uh, but more interestingly, uh, we decided to come up with the whole, well, the idea is as valuable as the any kind of payment that's going to be made. And that's about the time that Facebook came out with their Facebook ID and, and, and Microsoft kind of pulled back on everything. And Facebook just kept running at it, running at it, and running at it. And um, obviously they're at where they are today. A lot of it is because of the data and because of the information they're able to glean. Uh, and it's so interesting how data is pulling together with money and it's becoming more and more the valuable resource. The next area I moved into that has me so fascinated with this is a, a, in blockchain. And la last year, I finished a project with a startup that was fractionalizing high-end assets around art, so $5 million, $10 million pieces of art. How do you sell contracts? Or obviously, with smart contracts, mm -hmm. you could simplify it. But the idea of fractionalized payments of art, so we did an MVP on that. We got a token going. And then there's a little group in DC that said, maybe you should slow down a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> so um, we stopped that for a little bit. But I think that has a lot of momentum. And Andre just mentioned the uh, real estate as well. So um, I'm glad to be a part of it. And I hope you guys feel free to ask any questions. One thing I've figured out in the last two years of being in this space is you know, the saying goes, there's no dumb questions. But there really aren't. Because there are some people that you think are the smartest people in the room. And they're like, oh, well, what is a token? You know. So. Don't be afraid to ask, okay? There's no, no wrong questions. There's some dumb questions. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I'm just teasing. Um, and my name is Jonathan. You all know me, of course. Um, so I've been in payments and, and uh, e-commerce tech for the last 10 years or so. So done it more from the retail side of things. Um, and so integrations with payment folks or um, working more on the transaction side with commerce. Um, recently, I co-founded a company uh, called Every. Uh, where we're doing loyalty uh, payments and rewards um, and, and leveraging blockchain tech. So I, I love talking about uh, the space, uh, but before we kind of get into the, the blockchain side of things, I'd love to just talk about payments in general, right? And, you know, especially a lot, most of you, or I guess all of you have been in payments in some way, shape or form for uh, 20 years or more, right? So um, I, I'd love to just kind of talk through like just commerce in general. So internet happens, um, you know, I, I, t I had this, the ability to talk to this guy one day and he was telling me like, yeah, like when people started figuring out how to use credit cards online, you know, banks lost their mind, right? So, um, you know, w t t let's talk a little bit about that first and then we'll kind of see comparisons with that and, and uh, the banking, or sorry, where we're at today. Well, uh, it, it's, it's a good question. Uh, for me, uh, uh, the, the, what I saw from my 
personal experience, uh, a big difference between uh, the U.S. market and the rest of the world when the when the internet happened, when e-commerce started. Uh, let's say it was 1995, 96, and uh, credit cards were ubiquitous in the U.S. already by that time, so you could use credit card to make any purchase, and uh, you kind of. Uh, merchants uh, paid all the fees so the consumer didn't care right so how much it cost and um, in spite of all the talk about the fraud the consumer didn't care either because all the fraud was eaten by the merchants mm -hmm. as well so uh, the financial institution right so if I lost my credit card or it was stolen I just call my bank right and you know it was replaced so I didn't care um, the rest of the world, especially where I come from originally, Eastern Europe and Russia, they didn't have credit cards, mm -hmm. right? So uh, what they developed to, to, to make payments online is digital cash. Mm -hmm. uh, and it started with, uh, like, you would install uh, um, a piece of software on your computer. Uh, nowadays, you would call it a mobile app, right? So, but at that time, we didn't have uh, smartphones, so you had to install it on your desktop or laptop, and then buy a scratch card, at you know, uh, a, scratch, at a, a scratch, scratch card, card yeah, yeah, at a grocery store, and then you would go to a computer scratch, enter mm -hmm. the code, mm -hmm. and voila, mm -hmm. uh, you have mm -hmm. value in your uh, digital wallet and. Uh, merchants were integrated uh, with those uh, payment processors and you could uh, make payments online and it was instantaneous uh, after you added value to the wallet. It was irreversible uh, and all this digital cash was, as I said before, it was like precursor to cryptocurrency. It was anonymous yeah. and uh, pretty much uh, fraud proof. Uh, once you make a payment, that's it. You know, there is no chargebacks, uh, anything. And it was a huge success uh, in all those countries. And nobody talked about fraud at all because there was no fraud to speak of. So the, the only problem was how to uh, um, enter or, or, or take your cash and transfer it into this digital cash. So that that's the, that mm -hmm. was the biggest issue. Mm -hmm. So would you just go to like the mini mart, the grocery store, mm -hmm. and you would pay tender to the merchant there, and they would give you right. a card with yeah. that amount? So in the United States, uh, uh, a green dot developed that solution like 15 years later, <laughs> together <laughs> mm -hmm. with PayPal, right? Mm -hmm. So you would buy a uh, green dot pack, I think it mm -hmm. was called, right? It, mm -hmm. it was a scratch card, mm -hmm. so you would scratch uh, the number and mm -hmm. enter into your PayPal account. And uh, because if you didn't have uh, a credit card, that was your solution. Uh, in Russia, they started doing it is like ninety six, ninety seven, and and also they developed a network of kiosks, uh, like pretty much. It, it wasn't a full blown ATM, but it was like a, a, a cash accepting kiosk. Mm -hmm. Uh, with the kind internet, like a, like a vending machine, that right? Would like a, uh, no, no, it was like a, it was a, like a, a simplified ATM. You couldn't get the uh, the cash out, but you can. It's it was a cashing solution. Got it. With the touch screen, uh, a touch screen, uh, you know, interface. So you'd put, let's say, a hundred dollars, and then you would choose a provider you wanted to 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 uh, a digital cash or, or digital wallet provider and then you would uh, load your money and then go back uh, home and uh, do the shopping. That was the biggest difference, you know. Like. Yeah. 
What's interesting is that there's still some countries that that's really the main way that they're shopping. Still online. in Russia, still. there are like right? I don't know a million kiosks right. everywhere. Yeah, because credit and debit cards are still not ubiquitous there. Same still, as like Latin America, you know, like in yes. Africa, and, and even like, in Japan, there's still a lot of cash-based society there too. So, and that's still the same solution. It's very interesting. Um, how I see the evolution, though, also, it just payments in general, that's great, like, for the history of uh, e-com, but I think the way payments is continuing to evolve is the separation of consumer and B2B, or the connection of the two, however you want to see it. Because real-time payments for banks is going to change the landscape for banking, like, altogether. That's the next big move, AI and blockchain altogether are going to make those big, big changes happen. Um, and it's really interesting because when the internet happened, right, it was like most of us remember all that. I remember retailers, large merchants saying, well, it's X percent of my total revenue, not that important. In fact, yeah. the retailers that I work for, the divisions that I've supported said, just plug in a credit card, don't worry about other payments, it's not that important. And it wasn't until PayPal started to come up with a better customer experience where people said, oh, you mean I don't have to grab a credit card number every single time and put in 16 digits? That people started thinking about the experience. But yeah. I, f I feel like retailers and merchants in general online didn't fear massive change until Amazon got bigger. Yeah. Because those small merchants did the PayPal solution because they needed to to convert the transaction because people didn't trust them to give the 16-digit number. And there's still a lot of websites as you go to today. It's still a 16-digit number, right. which is crazy, right? But so that's how PayPal got bigger because they said, okay, it's a random merchant. I don't want to give you my credit card number, but I have a PayPal account or I'll sign up for one and I'll do that. But big massive enterprise just said it's just credit card. everybody has a credit card or a debit card or prepaid what you described was green dot went to them prepaid and they're the biggest prepaid issuer still people would take their cash they would put money on or transfer from their bank account to a prepaid card and use that online because they thought that was safer right they may not worry about fraud but in a debit card situation if your money goes out of your bank account it takes a while before the bank can give you your money back assuming you're going to get it all back so some people have paycheck to paycheck that's not acceptable so prepaid is a good secure way to do it online um, so anyway the point is when amazon or other digital mm. native companies went big uber and the lifts then I think that's when enterprise started thinking, you know what, it's not just about the payment, it's about the totality of the experience. For sure. PayPal was important because it removed friction. Now everything comes together. I don't have to think about payments when I order my Uber or Lyft. And so that's, I think, when enterprise really thought this is bigger than just a channel. And, the, and to me, this is really where the evolution of omni-channel came into play, yeah. along with other experiences. Yeah, because when, you know, in those initial PayPal days, and even, I mean, I don't know, probably even like till like five or six years ago, um, your payment experience got broken by paper, right? Like, so you, yes. your, 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 sorry, your user experience got broken. So you're right. on this site, and then all of a sudden, either a window pops up if you're lucky, yes. or you're likely opening up a whole new um, page, yeah. you know, to visit, and then go there and. PayPal, exactly. PayPal for, for a long while back, back in the day, of course, yeah. didn't process credit cards. You had to load right. PayPal account with yes. your uh, ACH transaction yeah. or cash. Mm -hmm. So they, after they started accepting or processing credit cards, they became really big. Yeah. 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 On the uh, Star, uh, so I'm fascinated with Starbucks. I use it. I spend more money on Starbucks now than I ever have. And it's all, <laughs> That's kind of the point. It's not really money, right? <laughs> I'll, I'll deal with it later. 
uh, can you tell talk a little bit about how that all started and where the friction is and where do you think they're vulnerable and what the opportunity is for them in the future? Well, what's interesting is that Starbucks gets credit for being the biggest mobile payment <laughs> company, and right, it's just coffee. We always say, right, it's, it's just coffee and treats. Yeah, um, like the, the whole whole mobile payments really just they were able to leverage that pretty well. Yeah, to me, well, it was, but but it's kind of the point that I always make when I talk to people about payments and consumers. They were solving a friction point for consumers. Yeah. I wanted to get to my coffee faster, <laughs> and how can I do it? And so the easy way to do it, although it was very intelligent at the time, I don't think that's exactly where they were going, though, is, well, well I have this stored value card, and if I just top it up, then it's just ready to go, and I can pay it any time I want. I can preload it, I can do it at any point. To me, that's considered captive wallet, your point about spending. Basically, anytime you put money on a prepaid card, closed loop prepaid card, you're committing to spend that money with that retailer. And that was kind of the whole concept behind what we did at Disney for many years. So basically, it was a frictionless way to say we have a store value card, we need to get to a quick scan, don't want to change my point of sale, that's a very important uh, consideration for most enterprise on the point of sale, the integration piece. And it just became that you'll just go faster. So you have the captive wallet. People are going to spend. They're like, I have money there. I'm not going to go to the local coffee shop. And now I'm looking at my app to see about value. So I now have a new marketing channel. And really the value comes in that now Starbucks can tell you they've got this new coffee product, they've got these other extension of products. So it's this incremental spending that they can do in a logical way using AI to sort of target you for something that you might buy. It's interesting you talk about user experience because I think it gets so lost in the blockchain hype. It's like, what does the end user want? Where's the friction? And I mean, the ability to five minutes after you leave your, or before you leave your home, yeah. put it in the app and you're walking into a busy Starbucks and just grabbing what's on the shelf because it's ready for you is just beyond me and, and how great user experience that is. So uh, that is amazing. But, so that's why they get credit, because it's frictionless and very sort of intuitive, if you will, for on the mobile side. But Starbucks also gets credit because it's a daily thing. Right. There's, <clears throat> there's friction, not friction, there's um, habituation. But not every mobile application is going to have habituation unless you're using it at the places you go to every day. So again, coffee is just one of those things that most people do every day. So the app gets that much attention because you're buying the product. If you're Apple Pay and you're not accepted at all the merchants that I frequent on a daily basis, I'm not going to get the same habituation. Right. And so I think that's kind of, and that's why the volume is so much higher as well. I'm, publicly, Starbucks has talked about the mobile application being up to 40% of their entire transaction. Wow. The rest being, uh, and there's digital payments in there, right? Because you have a card on file. There's regular credit cards that people just swipe, and then there's still a good portion, and I believe publicly they've said 30% cash. So even in that environment, there's still cash. And they're probably able to save quite a bit when it comes to um, uh, transaction fees cost and things payment. like cost of payment totally. and that sort of. So there's there's a there's a huge uh, you know merchant benefit to doing so. Totally, but totally. That's well, something we exploited when I was there because you went from a five dollar ticket to a twenty dollar reload or a ten dollar reload. Yeah. And so the and and there's better ways to exploit that even more to save on cost of payments. So yeah. And I'm assuming it it were you know probably part of the strategy is you know you're you you need to top off even while you're in the store right and so you buy more yeah.
But also so, you're making money on the balances on all those accounts. It's like a billion dollars sitting at any given time, right? So the way enterprises think about that is it's it um, depending on how they're using the money because big companies like that they really don't invest that over quickly over time. But there is but an amount that, of revolve. But they you, you don't need to invest. You so, just swap it with other banks so overnight. So how they right? think of it is money I don't have to borrow. So it's savings of capital I would have to borrow. So it, if there is value, but it's right. a different type of value right. than most people think. In bigger companies, like at Disney, they thought of it more about, I'm paying down debt faster, so I'm gonna save some interest. But still, it's a lot of uh, Totally, money. totally. So yeah, so you can look at it as return on invested capital, ROIC, or I'm just gonna save on my interest payments, so I'm paying down debt, right? So, assuming there's no regulation that says you can't use that in operating funds, which there was a lot of conversation about that in the stored value space. Probably you don't, right? Uh, you, you don't, can't. but when big comp big retailers went under, um, Toys R Us, a couple other, I can't think of it off the top of my head, those balances are owned by you, even right. though they're topped off and sitting on, on right. Starbucks or Disney or anybody's balance sheet, if you will. It's liability Macy's. for the company. Correct. Correct, and so really the consumer should have access to it. So back to like regulation and customer experience, consumer protection. Make sure you have access to your money. That's why in a lot of states there's no expiration on all that stuff. So anyway, that's just yeah. sort of beyond it. Very cool. Cool stuff. We can talk payments all day long. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so you know, so so migrating from that to you, you know, there's announcement. I don't know, maybe like two or three months ago. And it was like Amazon, Microsoft, or sorry, Amazon, Microsoft, uh, Whole Foods, you know, accept Bitcoin payment, right? I don't know if you read that. And it was basically there's a payment processor yeah. that accepts Bitcoin. And so, like, you could pay with a, a card that had Bitcoin like on it. BitPay? Like BitPay. It uh -huh. wasn't BitPay, but I can't remember which company it was. But what was interesting is, is I, no, it wasn't BitGo either. I mean, someone's going to have to look it up. It was, in, it was all over maybe two months ago. Um, but what I found really interesting about that is that the merchant didn't really understand that they were accepting Bitcoin, right? So it's Well, they like, probably weren't. They were probably getting fiat. They were I, getting fiat. It, it, that's exactly Well, that's kind of what happened with Starbucks in the back announcement. Right, exactly. Mm -hmm. is, is basically what was happening is that um, Bitcoin might be leaving your wallet, but the merchant's not receiving Bitcoin, right? right. The merchant right. is receiving the cash, the cash mm -hmm. value because they're not going to have Bitcoin on their balance sheet. Mm -hmm. So I'd love to just kind of explore that real quick, you know. Um, is that a success? Is that kind of, in your opinion, do you think that's a success or is that just kind of a, a nice thing to talk about? Um, I don't really necessarily see that as a success just yet. Where I think it becomes interesting is when we see merchants hold cryptocurrency on their balance sheet. I think that becomes really interesting. I don't know if that, Which that day happens. doesn't happen. I don't, won't happen I, for a while. Oh, for a while, <laughs> yes. Yeah, I, because, I think it happens. It's right, not for a while. I, I, I you know, from... It's a you step know, in the right direction. Yeah. It's a step in the right direction, of course. But in my opinion, it's more like a, a PR than anything else for now, because yeah. uh, they the merchants don't certainly don't want to 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 keep cryptocurrencies because of all the fluctuations and the right. risk associated with the exchange rate. So that's why you know uh, BitPay or BitGo or something somebody like that comes in and converts mm -hmm. the cryptocurrency uh, into fiat and um, so but on on the other side of the equation there is a consumer and from my perspective I, I don't see any demand uh, you know from a consumer to pay with cryptocurrency because why would I 
spend, let's say, uh, you know, whatever, a fraction of a Bitcoin, now at, let's say, it's $10,000, when I anticipate that it will be $20,000 like in two months, right? So I will keep it. There is no point for me uh, 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 to spend it when I can use my credit card to begin with, mm -hmm. right? right? So mm -hmm. what is the point? There is no point. There is no market demand for now. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I completely agree. I, so if you look at the history of payment products, um, credit cards have been around for 60 years, I think now, since evolution of Bank America card was the first credit card. I mean, before that, I think Diners Club is one of the first ones too. But the infrastructure of a credit card, an issuer holding a, you know, a credit that someone can use for a merchant and that payment and settlement in between hasn't changed in 50 years. And all the innovation we're talking about in mobile, aside from blockchain and crypto, mobile um, wallets, even PayPal, everything else is running on existing technology. It's just a new form factor, if you will, right? Yeah. So for merchants, I don't really care. And I know that I'm not accepting bit currency or bit, 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 bit um, oh my gosh. Crypto. Crypto, thank you. I wanted to try to be very generic, but crypto, because I am getting paid in the settlement process that I'm accustomed to. And that's yeah. what really matters today. And it, unless there's huge consumer demand, because that's who I'm selling to, and I want to make sure and convert my sales, I don't care about sort of random currencies or pay types. I care when there is mass usage or yeah. higher adoption where I may lose a sale as a merchant retailer, any kind of you know, um, seller, I may lose a sale because I don't take that currency. So they may settle on accepting on the, on the balance sheet if it's a large transaction where the only way to take it is cash, crypto, or lose a sale. Yeah. But for your everyday merchants, not going to happen right now. So that's just one point. But, and but, so that's but, where it makes sense to for a merchant then is to partner with a payment processor that accepts Bitcoin so they don't have to worry about but it. But my point is I don't know that it matters Got because it. until it's en masse and huge yeah. consumer demand, it doesn't matter. But if that processor just feeds me a transaction that look, as a merchant, it feeds me a transaction that looks like a credit card, debit card, fine. It fits into my system. I'm not yeah. going to do anything different. I'm going to be okay. From a merchant perspective, Making changes at point of sale or their e-com or their application on the payment side, it's like the hardest thing to do. For sure. Because you really have to do a full integration, the way you have to manage the control piece of it. You have to do regression testing. And there's so much yeah. to do. It's, it's very and, costly. And you probably know better than I, so many of these big retailers use legacy software oh from God, you know yes. 20 years ago yeah. just because they're so ingrained in that right. software. Uh, you know. We're talking black screens and green, you know, green letters all over it, right? So yeah. that that type of cool. the screen. <laughs> There's oh, <laughs> we lost our light. There was still an application at Walt Disney World, and I believe it still exists. That's on green screen. If you ever go to wow. one of the hotels and can see behind the reservation desk, I think they might have modified it so it doesn't look green screen anymore. But the tack is definitely green screen. Or Tinkerbell or something. <laughs> I think yeah, right. maybe. It, isn't Costco still green screen? Unless they just recently changed it, but it was uh, up yeah, until a few years ago. They might have yeah. been. Yeah. yeah, but the other thing I was going to say, though, about accepting crypto for payment. So one of the bigger issues, I think, for consumers is that crypto is seen as an investment, not as cash yeah, for yeah. transaction. And so the taxation 
has not been solved. No one's looked at how that will work. So when you are using crypto for a transaction, you're going to be considered like a capital gain or you know wherever you yeah, are in that right, investment, right, right. which is one of the problems that I think many so of the large twice, companies exactly. Much. So yeah. for an everyday transaction, you're never going to do that until you can figure out how to solve that problem. Yeah. And then there's the whole like sales tax and whatnot too. Yeah. So that the whole the ecosystem tax accounting is scary and I've been in crypto for a long time I bought and sold with it and it's really complex yeah. and you, I'm just motivated to do it mm -hmm. so stripe used to um, accept or start sorry stripe used to offer Bitcoin as a payment mm -hmm. method um, they dropped it, they dropped it. Mm -hmm. yeah um, the reason they dropped it was unfortunately because about the, the, the well oh. no no actually demand was there oh. it was uh, the fluctuation in price so, you know, you buy a, I don't know, a t-shirt at, you know, a $10 value and then, you know, Bitcoin goes up or down, you know, you know, five percentage points. And then by the time the merch, by the time it settles and the merchant mm. gets the cash, mm. there is a discrepancy there. Yeah, you so, have to go almost in like in hedging, become the full-fledged like <coughs> financial services company just yeah. to hedge your risk of fluctuation of all yeah. this cryptocurrency, which what Abra did when they offered their solution. Yeah, average is pretty interesting how they do that because it, it, it kind of like stakes the value, right? And then so they, they so there's do like the hedging, yeah. Yeah, so right. So if um, they borrow one, money from large uh, crypto funds uh, and then they sell or buy, uh, you know, at an exchange, right? You know, to match the the value of the but transaction. You, but don't with Abra, don't you basically hold your your either your fiat or your crypto, and then based off that fluctuation, you stay at that. So for example, like if you it, just simple math. If you had a hundred hundred dollars of, of currency of fiat, and then um, you know you always have you always fiat. have a hundred dollars of fiat. Right, but then when you right. convert that to Bitcoin, you know Bitcoin goes up and down. Right. You're keeping at that same value of right, Bitcoin. Right, right, yeah. You 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 always you know the Ebra was interesting in that they developed a, an app and a solution mm -hmm. where a consumer facing solution. You know you never saw. Uh, fluctuation of the cryptocurrency. Mm. You only saw whatever fiat you put into the app. I, if you uh, input a uh, hundred dollars, it would show a hundred dollars on your screen uh, all the time, no matter what the value of the cryptocurrency was at the time. And when you decided to transfer the money, because originally it was a, a money transfer solution, uh, when you transferred the money to the Philippines, let's say, where they had like uh, the biggest customer base, it still showed the hundred dollars received uh, by the other person, mm -hmm. and so whatever the uh, uh, conversion risk, uh, it was um, you know borne by by Abra. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and it was kind of an interesting solution because uh, the the uh, consumer uh, layman, you know, didn't have to think about cryptocurrency at all. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You sound like you want to say something, Ria. No, I was going to say, I thought they were maybe adjusting it on the back end for the value, like slicing the cryptocurrency into multiples. They were just absorbing the risk. Is that they it? Were, so it's kind of yeah. like foreign exchange, like large right. companies right. sort of buy and lend money in large pockets, and then they actually hedge the difference so that they know what mm -hmm. the value is. But I think that's just what's so complicated about this. It was complicated, consumer, yeah. <laughs> there's no compelling, sorry for the whole team, but there's no compelling value proposition for the consumer to have Bitcoin, not yet. Well, hold on. 
for Bitcoin for transactional purposes? Or are you just saying Bitcoin, period? Transact Compelling payment for mass market. Yeah, for, if for, you're for, an as investor, a payment method. Yeah, yeah, yeah. If you're an investor for, sure. for transactional purposes, there's no compelling yeah. value proposition. Yeah, and it's interesting, right? Because on the Satoshi white paper, it says, you know, peer to peer, uh, basically peer to peer exchange or peer to peer uh, yeah. payments, right? Is like, was the intent behind it. Um, but, you know, I'm a product manager. I've been a product for a really long time. And what I, the way I kind of describe it is like, look, you know, sometimes your intentions behind a product evolve, right? You got to do what the market demands, what your right. consumers demand. And, you know, in my opinion and what I've seen and um, is that Bitcoin is more store of value, right? Mm -hmm. So maybe though, maybe it was intended as this peer to peer payment solution, but it's, it's definitely a lot more about store of value. Um, because all these reasons we talked about, right? Mm -hmm. But uh, what I can add uh, fr fr from my perspective is, uh, like, if we have a developed economy like the United States or Europe, there is not much demand for cryptocurrencies because you have other <coughs> options. But for international payments, mm -hmm. uh, uh, cryptocurrencies do have value yeah. because yeah. It, it, it creates a solution where you can move money very quickly without going to the bank or going through the bureaucracies or some, even, in many instances, you can almost circumvent some, you know, barriers, yeah. you know, to make a transaction or to 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 send payments to another country. So it, that's why most uh, um, uh, uh, successful applications uh, like Revolut or or, or Abra or some other apps, uh, they come from uh, international money transfers. Mm -hmm. You know. Um, for those type of uh, cryptocurrencies. It, yeah, and that makes sense, right? Because it's it's not you know, a piece of gum, it's not a piece of pizza, it's not a t-shirt, you know, like going slightly up in incremental value, right? It's if you're sending funds cross border, mm -hmm. you know, you're probably sending a significant amount of, 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 uh, of volume of money. Right. So the you know, the better. Right, yeah. exactly. So sending that as Bitcoin makes a lot of sense, right? right? Like right. that exchange makes a lot of sense for, for a everyday, you know, $5 mm -hmm. coffee at Starbucks. I don't know that it makes sense. So this is where real-time payments though comes in though, because that is the concept of moving money bank to bank faster. You can add in the blockchain so that you have that immutable like com confirmation and remove the middleman like the feds. But real-time payments is really when banks can apply that transfer in um, less time than they do today. It doesn't necessarily need uh, cryptocurrency. Blockchain is going to be a solution to help sort of solve the, the speed, but they don't even need that to do real-time payments. And that's really a lot of the problem today in mass, even with large companies, is the fact that you're transferring money or buying or selling or your business is transferring money from one bank in one country to another bank in another country, which I get blockchains are really good solve for that. But the biggest problem is the time, and the time is because of that yeah. confirmation of spaces. But real-time payments is supposed to remove some of that. So if you think about the hierarchy, if you get to a process or a concept that can solve part of your problem, that's going to go first. The next one is going to be a technology that makes it faster. Hopefully they go at the same time. And then lastly is a new form of currency that you feel like needs to replace those other two because you haven't solved the problem. And what I see is that I don't, I don't see cryptocurrency being a solution to some of the problems. They go with, I got to get it faster. I've got to, you know, um, move it without paying all those fees in between. And that's where blockchain comes in versus the crypto. But, but I know in some countries, crypto is being seen as a, 
currency savior, or I'm not, I don't know if I'm describing it correctly, right? There's some fluctuations in some countries where the currency is fluctuating so much that they're thinking maybe a cryptocurrency, their own coin. Like Venezuela or yeah. Bolivia. Yeah, or maybe a Mozambique huge solution for it. Yeah. But, but the problem is they try to translate that, I think, to the U.S. And it, nothing translates globally to the U.S. Um, yeah, but, but I think should be, but in, in that respect, Ripple is doing a lot of yeah, uh, good things. Yes. Uh, and that's Ripple. Ripple. Oh, right. That's exactly what they're trying to solve. And they have solved because they, they've been one of the most successful applications because they created their digital uh, 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 ledger, you know, mm -hmm. like distributed ledger, not with the idea of store value, uh, originally, but uh, uh, as a mechanism to make the transaction uh, uh, irreversible and uh, have the proof of the transaction instantaneously. Uh, and uh, it was like uh, unexpected result because I, I know them very well. I started uh, working with them like, you know, probably five, six years ago when they just started. They never intended to have it as a, as a currency. Mm. So it went up whatever a thousand percent for them it just you know like uh, you know well it's interesting when you think about like the ripples or libra or you know jpm coin is that right we're now we're starting to talk about like um, you know these more of centralized currencies right or centralized blockchains and so um, you know there's people probably in this room and, and listening that are going to tell you that right or sorry ripple is not a blockchain right mm -hmm. or libra is not blockchain it's distributed ledger technology and so um, when we think about that is um, you know the, the, the reality is is like when we talk about decentralization there's pretty much bitcoin and then everything else is going to be like some you know variation, offshoot yeah. of that variation of that Right. So, um, you know, with that is and for both of you, it seems to me as though a bank or sorry, a bank or a retailer is going to be more likely with some more likely to adopt or accept some sort of hybrid blockchain that's not decentralized. Right. Because right. they don't want their information uh, out there, regardless of how secure it is. But they want to leverage some of that technology or some of that um, way of thinking and, and breaking that down. Well, okay. that, that, that's why banks are working with uh, Ripple and nobody else, in, you know, in terms of allowing uh, their banking information, you know, move mm -hmm. uh, around the world. They don't want it to be out there, you know, in public for everybody else to see. They want it more contained. Um, and I don't know if it's right or wrong, but that's the nature of the banking business for now. Yeah, I think it's just slow, right? Um, <clears throat> I think in terms of, um, from a merchant perspective, if the coin is stable, if it has backing, it's probably more likely to be then right. accepted. Which is which is what which is most likely small. makes Libra so enticing, yeah. you know, to uh, all the partners uh, that are, have signed on, right? Is, is oh, this is stable. I have a point of view on all the partners that sign on. Let's today. hear it. Well, you know, when you look at the investments in, emerging technology companies, and you look at investments that large companies make, like Networks, Visa, MasterCard, they're investing in a lot of different things. Yeah. It's sort of like making sure they don't get left out. It's sort of like FOMO. And so my point of view on these partners on the Libra side is someone came to them and they said, yeah, because Facebook's going to take the hit and I don't want to be left out. Mm -hmm. And yes, I'm interested. I don't want to be left out if I'm a payment network, so I'm going to jump in. And then somewhere in there they threw in, oh, but there's social impact. we got to throw that one in there. So 
the woman. Yeah. And, you know, that there's I, a lot of the buzzwordy <laughs> things in there. <laughs> I yeah, just to, to look at the part, to, but you know, it's a little cynical view. But sorry, I think it's a good thing because it's making everyone speak about this. I mean, hey, there are hearings about blockchain. Well, what's pretty cool people. too is that you you listen to these hearings and. Um, Libra and Facebook's kind of been the bad guy, and Bitcoin has been viewed as the good guy, which yeah. was kind of crazy <laughs> to hear and, and see, yeah. um, which is pretty awesome, right? Um, so uh, last question is, you know, let's start talking a little bit about this hypothetical, you know, peer-to-peer payments is, is the solution or, or is like the ultimate use case that's heard when we talk about blockchain. You know, let's, let's assume that we get to, um, you know, full production value of, these blockchains, whether they're centralized or decentralized, like what does the future hold for payments? Are, are we going to really be fully decentralized? Are we going to be spent? Is Bitcoin going to level off? Are we going to be just using stable current, stable coins and currencies? Um, I'll give my opinion at the end what I think will happen. Okay. But. Yeah, I think uh, uh, stable coins have a better uh, chance of becoming a payment mechanism than just regular cryptocurrencies like Ether and Bitcoin because of all those fluctuations as, as we discussed. And uh, 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 crypto, you know, um, currency like, uh, or, or crypto coins like uh, uh, Ripple, uh, XRP, um, they've proven they can work uh, in the payments uh, system. So. That's that's kind of like a, a more centralized uh, uh, ledger technology, in my opinion, has a better shot than just you know completely decentralized um, blockchains. Right. And and Ripple never positioned itself as a, uh, a blockchain. They always called themselves uh, digital, you know, distributed ledgers. You know. Like yeah. Um, I always think of it from the masses perspective because that's who, you know, I was designing or developing for. So the average consumer, we're kind of speaking to people that know about this technology. And I just, I still don't see sort of a mass appeal for consumers. And if you think that P2P will be the case, we do have some very good P2P solutions today working off of cash. You could do Venmo, you can now do Apple, PayPal. JP Morgan has a great one. Real-time payments is going to be a solution that's going to use P2P. That's actually the, the business case for real-time payments in the banking space. So I don't know that you need another solution that's not cash, with, that's going to sort of solve the you know cryptocurrency. I think that <clears throat> if you're thinking en masse again, and you really believe the Libra uh, perspective that they're going to solve this for unbanked individuals, 1.7 billion in the U.S. or I mean in the world. I think that's the better uh, solution set. If you because these people are unbanked for a reason, and they may be in emerging countries, and I think that may be the better solution that will stabilize any coin, whatever it is. But I do agree that stable coins are probably the the, the future. But if any solution is going to work on a cryptocurrency, it's going to be one that solves for you know, emerging countries, people in remote places that don't have access to banking. Everything is cash because of their physical location or their currency is so jacked up that it's up and down. I think that's the bigger opportunity for masses in the U.S., masses in other countries. I think what works today and what's been evolving in the payment space is good enough for a point of view for a certain amount of time. So I know that's not going to be forever, but I'm yeah. looking 
like five years from now. Yeah. Maybe I, ten years from now might I think be a every, different. Yeah, every te- the technology of every ten years, things just continue to get mm-hmm. faster and better. And, and, and I do think that finance is the only one of the few verticals mm-hmm. that is not adapting to the technology like all other forms of communication. I mean, email is simplistic and free, basically. And money's going to move toward that. It's going to, technology's going to help money push toward a free, freer exchange of, mm-hmm. of, of value. Um, but I think the trends, we're right in the middle of it right now, right? All this noise happening, and right? There's this little guy pops up and does this, and then this other person does that, and then eventually the plat- you know, another platform is built, and then another idea comes out. Just like 25 years ago when the inter- this internet thing started, right? Nobody knew what that was. It was so cool. I could send email across the country. Wow, that's amazing, right? And, and now you look at money, and it's the most complex thing to send globally, you know? So it's going to change because of the technology. Yeah, I mean, there's definitely benefits to cryptocurrency in the sense that, you know, you can, you know, transfer, you know, your Bitcoin to someone else in a different country, you know, regardless of what country that is. Um, and you can do that any time of day or night on the planet, right, like they, that you needed mm-hmm. to. I think that's super interesting. But, you know, I, I kind of think of those as more like outlier use cases. You know, again, we're talking about like payments, right? So if we're to like to think about like the everyday day to day payments, um, you know, I actually, I hate, and I'm not to sound like a, a mean person, I don't like the use case of like helping the unbanked. It, to me, it doesn't feel uh, genuine at all um, because, you know, these companies aren't charities, right? Like if like the Red Car- Cross created like this unbanked thing, I'd be probably be like more aligned with it. It just, to me, it just always feels like this, like, you know, oh, like you're helping the unbanked and going to make billions of dollars at the same time, right? Oh, I agree with and, that. And, um, but there is a demand for that. Yeah, but like you so, don't ha- you so don't have to say help them. You just kind of provide them a solution. So here's the thing: is if anybody has done like legitimate like research into like how some of these oppressed nations operate, like there's no way the government is going to allow for their monetary policy to be upheld by a technology company. That just won't happen. Like so, like Venezuela. I'm my family's from Venezuela. So I have strong opinions about oh. this. Mm-hmm. A lot of people use Venezuela as this example mm-hmm. of like how you're going to have like this new currency come in and it's going to take over. There's no way on the, Maduro would rather get thrown out of power Mm -hmm. than allow for the Bolivar to be upheld and upended by some digital currency. Mm -hmm. Um, I do believe, however, like digital currencies, Bitcoin will lead to revolution, right? Mm -hmm. Like I think like that's how, that's how crazy this stuff is, is that, you know, you'll have people in, in these countries try to figure out how to do it regardless. And that'll be like one of the reasons why they continue to revolt against an oppressive regime. Mm-hmm. But, you know, one of the biggest problems is in Venezuela, people, um, the average or uh, sorry, the, the minimum wage is $10 a month. Mm-hmm. So whether you give someone $10 a month in, in, in Bolivares, in dollars, euros, or a cryptocurrency, they need to spend it the second they get it, mm. right? So like there's no store of value mm-hmm. aspect mm-hmm. of it. Like you're just spending currency because you have to go hand to mouth to survive. Um, so anyways, that's why I, I always kind of push back at that example. Now, my cousin who is middle income in Venezuela, him getting cryptocurrency, it's, it's actually really been able to help him, mm-hmm. right? Because of inflation. So mm-hmm. he's able to benefit because he's able to store enough crypto that he can use it as a store of value, mm-hmm. right? He doesn't have to spend 
spend it the second he has it as a payment method. Mm -hmm. He just use it for store value, and then yeah, he he'll pay he'll make payments off of it, of mm -hmm. course. But um, he doesn't have to spend it the second he has it. You know. But uh, the, the reason I, for example, mentioned Venezuela, not because I believe the government would help <laughs> to uh, promote cryptocurrencies, but exactly as you said. If you live, let's say, in the United States, it's easier for you to send, you know, a fraction of Bitcoin to your cousin, yeah. and then they can spend it there for sure, mm -hmm. and, and and keep something because of the inflation. Uh, it's easier for them to hold on to cryptocurrencies than to Bolivar. Mm -hmm. Yeah, from a remittance standpoint, um, you know, from uh, you know that that's definitely very interesting and it makes sense. The problem is, is like I don't know, something like eighty percent of the population is in poverty, so if they're earning, you know funds and money like they, they gotta they gotta use it right away, right mm -hmm. it right mm -hmm. away. so um, but again like what I do believe is that you know the, the education but in terms of transfer of value transfer of value there, that makes, probably yeah, makes oh sense. it's so much better because right mm -hmm. now the way we have to do it is um, because there's a black market and because you can't send your US dollars into mm -hmm. Venezuela what we have to do is we send US dollars to a friend of ours who lives in Miami who happens to have a US bank account who also has a Venezuelan bank account, mm. and then they go ahead and Transfer. take cash oh. to the person that we need to get send cash to, yeah. right? Yeah. Because yeah. we can't. So, so yeah. So crypto in that sense is actually a, a much better option than going through that whole roundabout way. <coughs> but to your point, I think that the the country government has to be in support of these solutions, or there could be chaos. So when I was talking about the unbanked, I don't think. Uh, Facebook is going to solve it. I think this whole concept of Facebook and Libra talking about it is making it possible for companies to find a way to solve it. Yeah. They're starting the conversation, right? Totally. They're putting it out there and someone's going to solve it. I don't really think they're the sort of the, you know, the winning solution, if you will. But there's definitely a need for countries to support technology either in cryptocurrency or fiat, but blockchain for the unbanked. Yeah. That's kind of that's what yeah. I believe. Because there's so many situations where people are using cash and it's a dangerous situation. And so if they cannot solve it with more banking or more stable banking structure, then it has to be a digital solution. Yeah. And so that may or may not be crypto. It could be blockchain, it could be something No, else. and I think, I think like I said, you know, I, it's not that I'm trying to say that it's a bad option. Like I said, I think it will lead to the things that allow people to, to have a revolution or to like overthrow oppressive governments, you know, similar to how social media, right? Like, you know, mm -hmm. the Arab Spring, like that was had a lot to do with like mm -hmm. being able to communicate with folks that you weren't able to beforehand and like mm -hmm. coordinate and so forth. The other thing too is how many of you remember AOL or AIM, you know, AOL Instant Messenger, <laughs> right, or Netscape or um, uh, like those. Have right? Email those email. people were, those people, those companies fought the battle, right? They laid out the, the technology, they fought through some of those, uh, transition periods and now they're gone, right? So this technology will continue to change and the use cases will definitely come, come out. Um, one thing I'd like to mention, um, I don't know how much more time we have for questions, but there are two books I've read that I'm just a fan of finance and I'm a big fan of technology. And uh, uh, Bitcoin Billionaires, uh, I'd recommend it highly. It's a lot of fun just to lose yourself in kind of the history of the last five years or so. And the other one is a Gilder, George Gilder book called um, uh, life after Google, the death of big data, and the uh, the future of the blockchain economy, and it's hmm. he's a he's way out there on a lot of his thinking, but his current analysis of what's happening in the last couple of years is really fascinating to think about and get your mind thinking around it. Cool. Love to open it up for questions from anybody. Go ahead. 
Uh, so you guys have talked a lot about uh, payment methods for consumer items and things like everyday use cases. But I wonder if you think about cryptocurrency being different for, say, like a capital transaction. So we talk about commercial real estate. Like, I actually think there's a lot of, well, there's a lot of value in cryptocurrency as a way or and blockchain to disintermediate that transaction. And, and having worked on a number of uh, commercial real estate transactions, how like art markets, for example, how many intermediaries there are in between that. So I wonder if that then changes on like capital transactions. So if I want to buy building next door, not a cup of coffee, mm -hmm. if, if that is different. Right. So I was say I 100% agree. Like the, the 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 quantity or like the volume or the the purchase price like makes a huge difference as to when. And like this best analogy I can give is like, you know, people cash out their 401k to buy a house, right? And so like you, but you wouldn't cash out your 401k to buy a cup of coffee, <laughs> right? So I hope not. Yeah, but uh, <laughs> I I think what you're talking about. I would like to kind of uh, to differentiate between. Uh, tokenization and cryptocurrency payments. Mm -hmm. So when you're asking a question, it's it goes towards like tokenization of the asset, right? You right. you don't even have mm -hmm. to buy it with cryptocurrency. If there is a token, mm -hmm. you can buy it with fiat. Mm -hmm. So, but if you use cryptocurrency to invest in a company, like our company, you know, would offer this solution, you know, in a couple of weeks. Uh, uh, you don't buy a token, you buy uh, a regular security, but using cryptocurrency as a payment mechanism. But So uh, I, I really don't know how big of a demand it will be, but in terms of tokenization, it's a different story. And I think, you know, to, to, to make it uh, a fractional ownership or um, uh, remove some, some of the intermediaries, as you mentioned, a blockchain will help. But uh, the other side of the uh, equation is the compliance and regulatory environment, because even if you create a token and you can kind of uh, show that this transaction happened and you have all the necessary kind of digital ID within that token, the government would still require you to keep a paper copy, so to speak, right? So what is the point of creating digital you know, security if you still have to register the same securities with a transfer, regular transfer agent, right? So the government has to play a lot of uh, role in it uh, to, to allow uh, digital securities, etc. Uh, Speaking as a lawyer who owns a law firm that accepts cryptocurrencies as payment, as payment. Um, I find that I have clients that want to pay in cryptocurrency because they're involved in the business. They happen to have been sitting and holding a fair amount of cryptocurrency and now they want to, you know, take that value and get some service, and it's usually going to be a higher ticket item. So, both on, I've yet to find a great mechanism for receiving, like a a a, a, a way of sending out invoices that can handle <laughs> cryptocurrency. But, you mean it's um, not in QuickBooks? Yeah, no, no, exactly. You should call into it. Right you should call into it. Yeah, yeah. great um, partnership. But, um, I mean, it, it's something that we have done and we're, we're perfectly willing to continue to do so. Um, going back to the unbanked and social good, I actually represent a client, and, and you're right, um, most of these places are not charities, but they are, they split their company into two parts. One side is a charitable arm that um, pays people to recycle ocean plastic in third world countries, mm -hmm. and they're paid in a 
token script, oh. which they can then use in a local kiosk. That's a, local a great store idea. To get household goods. And the whole point was to make <laughs> ocean plastic so valuable that no one would want to leave it on the beach. Uh -huh. That's super cool. Pick it up and recycle yeah. it. Yeah. But because they're tracking the whole thing in the blockchain, the for profit end then buys the plastic and resells that on. Um, but the, when Marks and Spencer make shopping bags out of that plastic, they can tell it came from that beach in Haiti or in Bali or in the Philippines. But there's all kinds of lovely stories about unbanked grandmothers in the Philippines who can now afford to load their cell phones and they recharge them at the solar recycling station. Um, and it is solving that unbanked problem. They didn't have cash, they didn't have electricity. That's great. Um, and they were living on a dirty beach and they solved all of the problems. I love that story. And there's a place to use that digital currency yeah, so it, in their right, country? Is this well, all no, the Philippines? It's, it's, it, it, this is in the Philippines. It, it, right next to the recycling station would be like a little shop with cooking oil and beans and ah. rice. You can exchange those tokens. Yeah, yeah, yeah that's great. And, and a place where you can load the cell phone because that, that's always a demand because that's their, their access to the rest of the world. I yeah, have a really good friend whose partner started a blockchain company called Giveth. And the entire point of it is that they are nonprofit, and it is they go all over the world, specifically a lot in South Africa, mm -hmm. and they set up donation funds for nonprofit organizations so that the money that you donate actually goes to the organization instead of the government, so that the government can't misuse that money, so you know that what you're donating to is actually receiving it. Mm -hmm. And it's just a it's a really positive use for cryptocurrency that I don't think is really like recognized or talked about or understood, but mm -hmm. they have an entire company for the last eight years called Giveth, and that's specifically what they do, and they go all over the world to many different uh, like countries for multitudes of different kinds of nonprofits, but it's pretty cool. It's a pretty cool way to be able to donate your money and know that it's actually going to be going for a good cause and not just into the hands of a government that isn't totally. actually ever going to use it. Yeah, I'm actually super familiar with them. Um, and I just want to clarify, when I was saying, like, I think of companies, like, using that kind of, like, as this crutch, I'm not meaning like nonprofits or like companies like you're talking about. I'm talking more like these bigger entities <laughs> that are like profit maximizing entities. Uh, Assuming that Libra can launch next year, which I don't believe that it can, there's just too much to overcome. That would be a solution that could be masked, but I still think it takes a long time for the underbank to get to that point, or unbanked, sorry, underbank is a whole different group, unbanked to get to that point. The solutions that I see are the ones that some of these folks talked about. They're really like grassroots and they're individual countries. And so those aren't gonna have massive adoption in the next five years. What will happen is maybe they'll, they'll find a solution that works and then they'll be gobbled up by other people that want that technology or the connections in the government that they have or the connections in, to the individuals there. So, but it's still not mass in my opinion. I mean, okay. it's still good adoption, but mass to me means like a good portion of the population in any large country. You asked, you know, China, India, Europe, you know, um, that, that's what I was speaking to. Yeah, like, <clears throat> I think like that, the plastic scenario you're talking about, like that seems like a really great use case. Um, but I, I kind of think of that more almost like a, a, a loyalty program in a way, right? Like, I guess this is where I want to go with that. I don't see that overthrowing whatever the Filipino currency is, right? You know what I mean? Where like in a Libra context, like the goal is saying like, we're going to replace your, you know, your government issued currency with our currency. 
Um, and so um, I think that's kind of like the difference is like there's there's lots of room for those types of companies and those types of products to do that. I think that becomes really interesting for folks. Thank you for listening to the TF Blockchain Podcast. We appreciate your support as we continue our mission to connect the broader business and technology community with blockchain innovators. For the most up-to-date information on all things TF Blockchain, please visit tfblock.io. Please like and subscribe to our podcast to be the first to hear from our amazing speakers changing the world through blockchain and crypto. If you're interested in partnering with the TF Blockchain Podcast, please email us at podcast at tfblock.io. Be on the lookout for TF Blockchain chapters coming to your city, and please reach out to us if interested in becoming a chapter director. We hope to see you soon at one of our live events. Thanks for listening, and remember, stay crypto, my friends. The views and opinions expressed at TF Blockchain events and podcasts are solely those of the ones presenting and do not necessarily reflect the position or opinion of TF Blockchain. TF Blockchain is not responsible for the opinions or content of its guests and does not endorse any particular company or currency. This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be used to make investment decisions.